I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for coming. Um, it's really good to see you all. Thank you for coming back to the shop and supporting us and being in the room again. It's really, really good to have everyone here. It's really, really good to have Sophie Lewis here to talk about Abolish the Family, published by Verso. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Verso, again. Thank you, Lola Olafemi. Two really brilliant, really interesting thinkers together talking. I'm really, really excited, as I'm sure you all are. Um, yeah, we're honestly absolutely delighted. Thank you. I think that's it from me. Just say thank you again to our guests. Thank you so much for being here. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, first, a big thank you to um, LRB for hosting us. I'm Lola. I'm just going to introduce um, Sophie, then we're going to chat for 45 minutes, and then there'll be time for questions. So um, Sophie Lewis is a freelance writer in Philadelphia, teaching courses for the Brooklyn Institute for Social Research. Her first book was Full Surrogacy Now, Feminism Against the Family. She's written for various publications. You should all support her on Patreon. <laughs> um, Sophie is an unpaid visiting scholar at the Feminist Queer and Transgender Studies Centre at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I don't know whether you wanted to start maybe with a short, something short? Uh, a reading? Yeah, a short, yes. just to give us a... Wow. Yeah, we haven't prepared us. this. We just came up with it 10 seconds ago. So <laughs> this would be good. So, if your knee-jerk reaction to the words abolish the family is, but I love my family, you ought to know that you are one of the lucky ones. And I am happy for you. But everyone should be so lucky, don't you think? Loving the people in your family, mind you, is not at odds with a commitment to family abolition, quite the reverse. I will hazard a definition of love. To love a person is to struggle for their autonomy, as well as for their immersion in care, insofar as such abundance is possible in a world choked by capital. If this is true, then restricting the number of mothers of whatever gender to whom a child has access on the basis that I am the real mother, is not necessarily a form of love worthy of the name. We'll stop there. Thank you. Um, I have to say I'm, I'm really, really um, so excited to be in conversation with you. I think this book and your thinking um, are really capacious. And so uh, when I was thinking about how I wanted to start off this conversation, I didn't want to start off with a misreading or, or that is to say, I feel like family abolitionists are constantly um, in a kind of defensive position. They first have to say what family abolition isn't, what it doesn't threaten before they can kind of like lay out a vision. And I think that um, that shows us not only the ideological kind of potency of the family as an idea, um, but what I find kind of uh, exciting about a family abolition is this idea that it threatens everything. So I first wanted to, I wanted to begin there. I wanted to ask you, how could abolishing the family enrich our lives? And why is the family a, a kind of persistently revered um, entity in, in mainstream political and social life, even and especially sometimes on the left? Wow, thank you. Um, it's really interesting that, you know, for some people I am, very apologetic and conciliatory. In fact, I almost got taken to task by um, 
someone I've, you know, a comrade, like recently, like, why do you go for these provocative titles? And then when you're on stage, you're sort of really nice. And I was like, <laughs> is that a critic? I mean, I, and then, you know, it's actually not everyone's experience. Um, I mean, but, but, but there's a, I, I think you're right to, to flag the kind of, yeah, the, the, the preemptive disclaimering. I, I do, I do feel that I'm, um, part of a, um, I wouldn't be brave enough to venture out and talk about abolition of the family were it not for the fact that there are some others, Emmy O'Brien, um, you know, Jules Gleason, Kay Doyle Griffiths, Madeline Lamer Kim, you know, there are five of us. <laughs> but like, um, you know, I'm clear, it's almost like together we're clearing space and maybe I do a little bit of, you know, rhetorical disclaimering. I'm kind of the, the guy who goes in first and says, don't worry, don't worry. And then, you know, Michelle comes in and does the really heavy historical work that's forthcoming next year. You know, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're out here. And I think to begin with the positive pitch is something I'm only recently like having the, the breath and the guts to do. And yeah, I maybe don't need to preempt the fear that <laughs> you're all here, you're all come here, presumably not to throw tomatoes. So like, it, yeah, it's an abundance, a vision of um, being richer in needs than we currently are. I love this phrase, rich in needs, which comes from um, a friend of mine who studies the, uh, the, the radical sort of wings of the welfare activist movement in the US. Um, and the, the utopian sort of black women who were saying, you know, give us money, not because we're virtuous mothers or housewives, not because we have some, an economic contribution to make, but just, just because we're, we're organizing and we're, we're saying, you know, um, and, and, and rich in needs is the appetite that spirals upwards, mm -hmm. sort of bigger and bigger when you start an insurgency and you might be thinking, right, we're gonna you know, pressure Philadelphia City Council to, to provide more affordable housing. Um, but then you stay put and you figure out how to provide food collectively for one another. You figure out how to maybe even develop the, the sort of the germs of some kind of like healthcare infrastructure. You start to, you know, do um, services for substance users, there's a shower. Like suddenly you're like, actually let's, let's, let's have more things. <laughs> Let, let's grow richer and richer and richer in, in needs. And you know, the nutshell definition of family abolition is the sort of building of the world that means that the family is not needed, mm. right? It's not really about starting with, you know, the word in the title is family. So our minds are sort of inclined to think, oh, let's, let's go in that household and change something there. And that's the opposite of what abolition, as Ruthie Wilson Gilmore as well in the, I mean, it's a bit intense to say prisons and family as mm -hmm. though there's any, but you know, she's talking about how the thing you're, you're, you're talking about is not where you start. Mm. You start with the world um, that needs to be built to make um, that, that travesty of justice mm -hmm. in the case of the, the, the prison industrial comp uh, complex um, or um, love <laughs> in the context of the family, um, sort of unthinkable, right? Mm -hmm. we, need, we, we, need to, we, we need to be imagining that somehow in the future, the idea of being satisfied with these, these answers mm -hmm. to the need for, for love or for justice mm -hmm. would be just a sick joke, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so um, just, a, just like when um, a few, you know, a few months after I first published Full Surrogacy Now, I was so moved that, that they started trickling in these people who sent me photos from around the world of the book sort of face down in a maternity ward. Mm -hmm. Sort of saying like, I thought I'd be really scared of this when I did pregnancy, but then, then I loved it. Uh, I, I feel like to my surprise, with my defensiveness, I've actually been surprised. People are like, no, no, we're not, we're not really, we're, we're not scared of this. Mm. I think you had a tweet where you were like, uh, oh, you're all fighting about whether Marx or Engels said it, mm. but like, you know, some black of us have been, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Black, black feminists have laid out the same case. For a while, yeah. you know, and, and, and once you get over the initial sort of, um, maybe like almost pre-conscious, like yeah. knee jerk, you can, you can go, ah, oh, hmm. 
wouldn't all the people in my family benefit from family abolition? Mm, mm. Like, wouldn't that be the best way to love them? Mm. And also, I think one thing that you lay out really clearly is also the family, the nuclear family, the family as we know it, is an institution that underserves us. We could have more. Those are the kinds of refrains that I find really powerful in the book. There are other possibilities. We could have more. And that doesn't mean, you know, um, abolishing the idea of care. Actually, it means expanding and opening it up, right? Um, and I guess I wanted to come back to what you said about black feminism because I feel like in your work um, you've always been attentive to how black feminists have thought and rethought um, about like kinship, mothering, nurturing um, and you write in your book um, what would it mean to not need the black family and I think like the black family or the Palestinian family or the, the third world family is often kind of posited um, as a way to discredit family abolitionist kind of thought to say there is a hole in this thinking because it doesn't attend to the way that these specific families are pathologized by the state and, and how the family then becomes a protective unit against that pathologization. Um, but I think the key word in that sentence is need. And, and to me, that's not a comment on the kind of revolutionary potential of the black family. Um, it, it's understanding it in a set of political conditions um, in which those families are either posited as resilient or pathologized. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what are the conditions, um, what would it mean to abolish the political conditions that constitute that pathology and that resilience to free those, you know, thought about um, families from those restrictions? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was rude. <laughs> no, I, okay. I got... Take, take I, with it, will you? <laughs> this is, you know... Uh, the best thing <laughs> that could ever happen, having Lola, you know, like, we, we, I've, I feel like I've been thinking um, in the hopes that Lola Lofemi will, 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 will think back, think with me, and I feel like there has been a bit of dialogue between your last, no, your last, your last book and out, no, stop it. But yeah, and then I got to see the, the questions um, just, just about an hour ago. I don't, I don't really know what, what time of day it is. I'm a little bit shattered and um, I was looking at the questions on, on the tube and, and just going, oh my God, <laughs> these are the best questions and we, we, we will have a real conversation um, that matters, which is in a way, a bit of an odd thing to do in a, in a literary bookshop, you know what I mean? It's like, there's something that's sort of, I don't, I almost feel odd about the book, the commodification of, of, of books that, like when Lola's thought becomes commodified in a book, I, I'm really conscious of how, of, of that contradiction, that it, but you know, that we don't want these, these projects to be sort of detached, but that's, that's our job, shut up. Right, so um, yeah, like, the, 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 the point about black feminism that I've been sort of trying to make better since Full Surrogacy Now, um, where I feel like I had, yeah, I had some sorts of thoughts um, about the queer black mothering a sort of uh, anthropological tradition, right? There's a, there's a beautiful, rich tradition, um, you know, with, with, with touchstone figures like Kathy Cohen and... Um, the all our kin, Carol Stack, um, and and you know, and Hortense Spillers, who are sort of talking about the the revolutionary mm. labor of mothering. I would sort of say against motherhood, mm. against the patriarchal institution of motherhood. Um, and I was you know swimming in that stuff when I wrote Full Surrogacy Now. And I think what I hadn't sufficiently got to was the point that. In white supremacist colonial capitalism, um, you know, obviously black <laughs> black mothers sort of deserve everything, but that includes um, being subjected to ruthless criticism of everything existing. It, 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 it includes the sort of, as Jennifer Nash puts it, increasingly like the the freedom to be, yeah, not either pathologized or or, or romanticized. Um, and Jennifer Nash is talking about the 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 the, the need for that that kind of mother role, that sort of uh, survival oriented, noble, beautiful tradition, um, to also be allowed to to to, to fail and auto criticize and receive internal criticisms from, for instance, children who might have children's liberationist ideas or disagreements, or just people who don't necessarily see themselves in the romance mm. of. Um, you know, even the most creative, efflorescent forms of 
collaborative mothering, which after all is is what you know is what I hold up a lot. Like I, I'm constantly writing about, yeah, mothering against motherhood and xeno hospitality and comradeliness and momradeliness. And uh, yeah, I was really taken to task recently by these these voices I hadn't noticed in the in the archive, such as Tiffany Latabo King and Jennifer Nash, who are pushing further and saying we can actually maybe demand more than this kind of romance of survival, right? Yeah. I suppose there's a line that I owe partly to my editor, Rosie, about the, the shield that people take up to survive the war of white supremacist society. And so there's no, there's almost no overdoing the appreciation we should give historically to, for instance, the black family against the state, um, you know, uh, the way that it has enabled people to survive state violence, mm. the way that the family has been the structure that has helped people survive, um, you know, it, it, um, exit from prison or escape prison or, you know, um, and, and yet, and yet, when you take up a shield to survive a war, the temptation is to sort of not notice anymore that it's not the nature and that the aim surely is to one day no longer be in that war mm. and not need, again, that word, that mm. this refrain constantly, like to not need mm. um, that, that protection. Mm. And then I'm thinking with Tiffany Latabo King about that sort of dialectic of sort of being in and against um, and how you appreciate the creativity, the skillfulness of social reproductive sort of weavings, you know, um, in the interstices, etc. cetera, um, uh, and the culture, the strong, beautiful sort of shapes that Tiffany says her family, her extended diasporic black family give. And yet she insists on naming the violence. She's very, very insistent on the violence of fami familiality, mm. um, the uh, impunity um, that comes with the structure of privatized care, privatized householding, family. Um, and she, she, so she, she, she insists that we should all be able to, to do both, mm. you know, to, to value, celebrate, um, family and seek to go beyond it mm. and ultimately uh you know build the world in which it will maybe i don't know if i really i don't know how i think about the word wither away you know the, the mm -hmm. marxist tradition but like that you know to, to be able to countenance the elimination mm -hmm. of something that you are attached to mm -hmm. and that's so that's the scary thing isn't it it's the premonition of like truly being undone one day in the way that you're manufactured now like the real the deep revolutionary sort of horizon of like self-abolition or mm. something, you know, not being manufactured through the story um, of, uh, yeah, mom, mom plus dad equals private property <laughs> and, um, you know, genealogical inheritance yeah. forever. I think, I think also it's important um, in the argument that the black family doesn't become another rhetorical trick, right? So that we don't reinscribe this idea that a family abolition as as a thought, as a tradition, begins in the imperial court and emanates outwards, as if everybody across the globe, like feminists um, in their revolutionary uh, traditions from around the world, have not um, uh, kind of put forward a critique of the family at, at the very basis of their thinking about how the world should be organized, you know? Yeah. And um, I guess, like, uh, you, you've kind of already answered this, but um, I, I'm thinking about you know, the necessity of thinking beyond the family, even as the family sometimes um, functions as this protective unit, but also in all of the discourses, for example, about um, family reunification, right? right. Like um, when people are thinking about how does family abolition um, work as a practical, strategic set of practices, right? Um, especially when the state we know is forcibly removing children from their families. Is it the, the job of family abolition, uh, abolitionists to say, actually reunification is one of our demands? And I wanted to ask you, um, how can even uh, family reunification in some contexts on the state's terms be violent? And why is it important for abolitionists, family abolitionists to think in and against the state um, at the same time? Mm, yeah, um, well, 
I know you, you were embarrassed earlier, but your thought was really crucial in helping me work this out and make it, I hope, fairly central and recurrent throughout this, this short, short <laughs> book. And it's sort of about this, um, yeah, this necessity to always, and this is something Dean Spade has been chatting to me about, like, and Dorothy Roberts's sort of work on abolishing family policing and how it's part of family abolition. Abolish family policing, which is a sort of protection in a sense, a gesture of, of getting the boot off the neck of certain fam families. Mm. Um, and, and at the same time, um, not naturalizing that, that family. And it's at the same time extending uh, a hand of solidarity to, for example, you know, a queer kid in that family who absolutely doesn't want to be reunified. <laughs> With, you know, this is a thing like, you know, anecdotally, my, my friend who worked in the, the sort of sector of, of, of this kind of immigration law was saying, you know, Hillary Clinton was deporting um, queer kids back to Honduras who were absolutely adamant that they, they did not uh, want that and would, would be harmed and, and, you know, and, and it caused harm, you know. Um, there's a, there's a very real sense in which you you could be causing death if you forcibly you know uh, re reunify certain legal or biological relatives, um, and uh, so that sort of that appreciation that it is absolutely an imperative for any uh, you know decent human being I suppose um, forget like leftist to to to, to materially struggle for and probably fine under the banners of you know keep families together stop family separations right that's those are the placards in my in my city in in every city in, you know where i live in 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 the united states um fine we know we know what we mean mm -hmm. you know and it's a complicated thing like sometimes the state having erected this kind of ordering function of the family to which which has you know which has a, a history of um you know uh eugenic and colonial administrative you know biopolitical uh um control it, it it loses it loses a little bit of control and having enacted uh you know certain policies or laws that say you know if you are um a bona fide legit family <laughs> then we have to sort of give you certain things. Mm -hmm. There is a book about fear of the family in the German context because Gastarbeiter, guest workers, were sort of successfully using it to sort of jimmy open the, the border a little bit mm. and, and bring in people who, who were not uh, welcome from the state's point of view, mm. right? And then you have to hold that appreciation, how, this, how, how you might strategically use, um, you know, the 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 law and maybe even language of family in certain contexts to almost, you know, uh, transfamilial ends. Mm. Um, and then, you know, also you have to appreciate, and this is maybe more US context again, uh, the, 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 the boundaries of the, um, the racialized family, the indigenous or black family in the United States has always, have always been porous, right? There's never been this kind of, um, uh, um, sort of familial uh, wages, mm. right, for certain populations. Um, this has been said over and over again by philosophers and sociologists of all kinds that, in a sense, the polemical way of saying it, <laughs> and it's obviously one strand of black radicalism, there's a lot of disagreement, but the polemical way of saying it is that the black family is an oxymoron in the United States mm. because it does not uh, uh, hold any authority against the incursion of the state, right? The police can always come into your house and can always, you know, uh, you know, do unspeakable violence um, in, inside, inside your household, right? Um, and so the fantasy of uh, um, the sort of um, medieval European uh, legal philosopher, whose name I've now forgotten, but you know, um, every man's house is his castle, um, which is a, a big legal principle, uh, which is fantasized then in the Western, right? Like, come into my house and I'll shoot you. This is what the settler colonist, colonist is, 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 is all about. Mm. Almost the, 
the, the, the, the sadistic pleasure and hope that someone will transgress mm -mm. into your family. Uh, T-shirts to this effect are in every New Jersey, uh, 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 you know, uh, memorabilia shop. In, you know, when I go to the beach, it's always like, you know, touch my daughter, and I'll, you know, and, and like, you know, uh, uh, it's really, and you're like, wow, you know, um, no, but this doesn't work for uh, the black family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to maybe kind of um, move across a bit and talk about Marx and Engels who haunt all discussions about family <laughs> abolition, I think. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about family abolition in the context of um, their proposition uh, of the withering away of the state, the reorganization of, of social life um, on the basis of kind of communist lines and the repurposing of the state um, by workers. Um, mm. And particularly, I think Marx and Engels have both along a spectrum been named as family abolitionists and people who um, enact a critique of the family um, via their critique of like bourgeois relation, whatever. Um, and I wanted to ask you, how do you understand family abolition um, in the context of the idea of the withering away of the state? So does the um, the family wither as the state withers? Does the family wither because the, the state withers? Um, this was one of the questions that made me sort of slightly panic on the tube. Um, <laughs> it's really important and I am, uh, you know, a bit leery of making a, I don't want to cop out. It, it, it's just that I think I have a certain agnosticism mm. about the question of the withering away of the state and the relation between the family and the state is one that I'm, you know, helping, um, you know, myself work out still ongoingly. It's a research project. We're talking about it. You know, there's not, I, I, I think the at certain points of colonial incursion and, and high, you know, high intensity settler colonization, the family is very clearly um, an instrument and maybe a wing of the state. Mm. Uh, you, you go in, um, you know, you, 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 you do the genocide, you do the um, uh, re-education, you transition from, you know, um, uh, the only good Indian, Indian is a dead Indian to, uh, 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 what is it? Kill the Indian, save the man. Re-education. And so there's the kinship uh, uh, destruction uh, with children being sort of stolen en masse and uh, subjectified in mm. the image of uh, binary gender and uh, uh, nuclear familiality. And then um, family abolition for me in that context is the ensemble of resistance practices that seek to uh, maintain ties, maintain uh, bonds uh, against that process, right? And so, um, the, 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 you know, and you, you, the, there was private property uh, required of indigenous populations who had never practiced it, and the, a male head of household in a marriage uh, in every administrative unit. That's what the state required. So it's really clear that there's a sort of way that the family is. Uh, unbeknownst to us, because we tend to think of it as this kind of natural entity, right? But there's a sense in which the family is, um, you know, a little wing of the state. Mm -mm -mm. And then there's this question about its function for capitalism, its provision of an incredible amount of free labor uh, for the market. Um, and I think when I when I imagine to the extent that I think about withering away of the state, which, yeah, I wonder if that's just a terminological thing that I'm agnostic about, like hopeful. Um, but um, I, I, yeah, I imagine that the, God, I just answer the question. I think the withering away of the state is um, something that would have to Proceed the abolition of the family. Mm. I think. Mm. I think. I think we start. This is the thing, right? My book says this on the cover, but it's like you know, that's because books have to have titles, and you know, positive supersession of the nuclear private household isn't very snappy. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> ab 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 abolish capitalism has sort of been done a little mm. bit, mm. and I think 
you know, um, it, yeah, that's the bad news or maybe mm. the good news, mm -hmm. you know, that you can't go and do it in your homes. Um. <laughs> but also that, that from what you're saying that there also is, a, I guess, a reciprocal relationship between the two, because in, in taking from the tradition of utopian thinking, as you do in this book, I'm, I guess in the question, I'm not trying to ask you to impose an order on the, on the structure <laughs> of revolution because we don't do that here. Um, but, but more, I, I guess, um, I guess where we land is that like the two can inform each other, right? And, yeah. and the two push each other in um, uh, what direction is this? Whatever direction <laughs> I'm gesturing in, in my, with my hands. Um, I, I, I wanted to also ask um, to make sure to ask about, I guess, the uh, affected dimensions of, this, um, of the family as well. And thinking especially about the resurgence of uh, fascism that we're seeing, um, especially in Europe, and thinking about like God, nation, family as this rejoinder that fascists often um, use. And I wanted to ask, how can family abolition help the left, especially craft strategies for resistance? And could you talk specifically about the, ro the role of women and the role of mothering um, in upholding a kind of like fascist ideology. I see that in, in an attachment to the natural that we see lots of like trans-exclusionary radical feminists um, yeah. kind of put out there. Um, yeah. and, and why is that? Why does family abolition seek to destroy that? Um, yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, there was a review of uh, this book just two days ago, I think, by uh, one of this island's many you know, transmisogynist um, feminists, uh, which was titled, um, Don't Come for Mothers. Um, and whatever, I can't believe I just raised that. Don't go Google it, it or do, but it, you know, I, no, it's fine. If this is correct analysis, I am coming mm. <laughs> for, for you. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, in, in the sense that motherhood in that, uh, in that tradition is absolutely a part of um, uh, the, the patriarchy, frankly, mm -hmm. and not just, right? And there, there are, you know, we were just talking in, in, in the green room about the, uh, you know, the, the efflorescence of books about white feminism right now and how perhaps it has, where, where, you know, there are some extremely strong examples of this and some that seem to be um, almost like um, settling into a certainty mm. about the, you know, the, almost the visibility and wrongness of certain, you know, uh, literal women. Whereas it's unfortunately, I think, the problem is worse and needs to be theorized more. <laughs> it's not just certain, like, you know, white feminists. Mm. It is indeed um, a certain tradition of, um, you know, woundedly attached, um, uh, often easily seduced into uh, imperial and eugenic forms of uh, control or, or sort of, you know, what's that word? Um, like, uh, they're sort of comprador <laughs> roles in certain structures. Um, uh, but but then even going beyond that and being the architects actually of certain projects of um, you know you, you, eugenic sort of nation building um, and yeah I mean mothers as we sort of commented before you know even uh, yeah you, you know even the most sort of embattled overcriminalized surveilled. Um, you know, resourceful, resilient mothers, um, are, you know, are, could very likely be reproducing um, patriarchy in, the, in their children, for example. Um, you know, Annie Olaloku Tariba was talking about um, the need for a sort of children's liberationist perspective that says, you know, um, all parental authority, right, regardless of the gender of it, is ultimately at work producing um, little little workers, which is the tragedy in a sense mm. of love under capitalism. Just to kind of return to the top of the show here, um, you know, there's sort of love and work woven so fine in the activities um, uh, of, of of our most intimate domains, mm. and that is the problem, right? That is the problem. That's the disgusting, violent, 
tragedy, you know, of, 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 of our existence on this earth, which we urgently, urgently need to, need to sort of break free from mm. uh, so that we can experience what red love that isn't being stolen uh, from, from, from under our noses um, by capitalism uh, would feel like, you know, because it's not that those activities aren't full of love. It's just that there's part of them that is being, you know, being given over, <laughs> stolen from us, in, 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 so that the, the 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 market will have these people who, you know, possess a, a, a stable class identity and a stable um, gender identity and all of that. Um, you know, so yeah, <laughs> um, fuck parental rights. <laughs> in, in conclusion, um, and yeah. I think um, from that, I, I wanted to, to ask you also about um, mothering, because I think obviously what's very clear in this book is that you say that we can have mothering without motherhood. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about a co um, conference that I was at, that Ruthie Gilmore was at, and she was talking about abolition um, being about the creation of these kind of cadres and she um, that agitate, that, that um, name the kind of um, absence and presence um, in their material lives. And I, I was thinking about this idea of, uh, of mothers who um, go out and uh, organize on behalf of their children or mothers who respond to um, police brutality and violence and how that has a long tradition in the US and the UK. Um, and so that made me kind of understand this um, uh, this idea of mothering as a kind of verb, a doing, rather than a naming of oneself or one's body. And so I wanted you to speak to this notion of mothering absent of gender as a kind of love ethic. And I, I also think about what Gail Lewis says about um, black feminism being a, a project of ethical relation. And I think that's what's at the core of this book, is you're saying there are other kinds of love that we could have and foster. So... I wanted you to talk a bit about yeah, that. Yeah, there's this incredible piece by Jennifer Nash about love politics um, and black feminism's very sort of pointed, very rageful, uh, extraordinarily wise love politics, uh, which I recommend everyone go read. Although, you know, I can't really distill it right now, but it's like, yeah, it's the it's, it's what you're saying as well um, about, um, I suppose, for me, this brings up metaphor, like metaphor for um, encounter with the other. And, you know, kinship is this huge uh, favorite, isn't it? <laughs> uh, for our um, thoughts and feelings of um, uh, commitment, um, uh, care, uh, respect, um, affection. You know, if I say to you, um, you know, we are kin, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's ubiquitous as a, it has a utopian direction, right? Um, we want that to uh, stand for comradeship. Maybe it does, in fact, linguistically have very little, like, you know, difference uh, from, from, this, from this ideal of comradeship. Um, we are bound together. Our fates are bound together. We're, you know, you are at stake to me. We are each other's harvest. Mm. Um, but slash and, I'm I'm sort of curious <laughs> about whether um, th there is still this sort of pointing to the family that's happening with the metaphor of kin and kinship, right? Like the only way I know how to tell you um, that you that you are really. Um, ride or die for me mm. is to almost like point a little bit, mm. like pretend that there is this like bio legal um, lack of choice, you know, like I couldn't break up with you if I wanted to. <laughs> um, literally, the state wouldn't let me or I would have to do a whole application to the state to emancipate from you, you know, um, and, and that's like, yeah, <laughs> it's a hell of a metaphor, mm. you know. Um, but I wonder if, in a sense, yeah, I, 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 we could go beyond it. Um, there's something about contingency there that I, um, the, the, the willingness, which I also read in the Black Feminist Archive because of its extraordinary legacy of, you know, um, uh, yeah, kinning uh, in, in the wake, as Christina Sharp puts it, and the sort of the need to reinvent relations that are constantly being um, 
you know, violently broken, mm. right? So having to maintain ties after, you know, um, someone takes one of you into captivity, transfers you, so on. These these thought, sorts of cultural norms and practices that have been studied in depth um, and which resulted in, in the United States, certain kinds of sociality that <laughs> initially, you know, post, um, uh, you know, reconstruction, um, the, the, the American state was not at all sure about. And it was like, oh, mm, you know, we've, we've abolished slavery. We don't, we're not sure we want the black family. They're all going to rush and have a family now. Um, mm, let's have some laws to not let that happen. Mm. And then what, what actually happened, um, according to people like Catherine Frank, was, was that actually the Freedman's Bureau was like, waiting for people to come and apply for marriage. And, um, it, and, and then it sort of had to do a 180 and be like, hey, come on, um, new black citizens of the United States, you know, form these nuclear households. And then they had to bring police in to actually make sure that, you know, um, uh, marriages were monogamous. Mm. And this was the sort of origin point of the then 20th century uh, um, welfareist practices, this incredibly inhumane, degrading practice of the, the man in the house rule, where, you know, welfare officers would come and basically snoop and even smell your... Anyway, never mind. But it is just like, if you are, you know, if you have a man in the house, mm. paradoxically, you cannot get welfare mm. uh, from the US state if you're black, which is a sort of neat inversion of the... Uh, which, is, which is more sort of... Um, Proof of the sort of black family oxymoron yeah. point, right? Like, um, and, and this is why Johnny Tillman was saying, if you're on welfare in the United States, you're married. You're married to the state. He is your husband. Yeah. Um, and you don't even get sex out of it. You're not allowed to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a digression. But it's the love ethic is, yeah, I think for me, related to Donna Haraway's point that there are maybe better uh, ways of relating than kinship. She was saying this in the 1990s, and then, you know, in the 21st century, it all became about kin making for Haraway. But I love the, 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 the argument, the evidence she marshals for why it might be uh, emancipatory, liberatory, needful to train our imaginations towards a form of love that isn't uh, relying on a metaphor of, of non contingency like that. Mm. Um, and that the whole the scariness of it is that, yeah, the love on the horizon of this whole imaginary, it has no ground yet. We don't know what that ground would be. Mm. Um, so there's a sort of nothingness <laughs> ahead. Um, when Michelle Barrett and Mary McIntosh were asked in the 80s, in the midst of Thatcherism, right, you can almost hear Thatcher's words ringing, like, mm. there is no such thing as society. There are men and women individuals and there are families um, and they sort of say yeah but the, the the last bit is the reason for the first bit like the the family is the reason why there is no social um, that you know it's a brilliant elegant point yeah. isn't it um, that you know the family for them is this infrastructure of um, designed scarcity reminds me of Ruthie Wilson's um, organized abandonment. Like yeah. if, you know, it doesn't make sense to ask Michelle Barrett and Mary McIntosh, what would you put in place of the family? Mm. Um, because the answer is nothing. Mm. You don't put something in the place of organized austerity. Um, and so the challenge becomes holding hands and being courageous enough together to step into that. Yeah. Hello listeners, the London Review of Books has just launched a new subscription podcast called Close Readings. For just £4.99 a month or £49.99 a year, you can access all our Close Readings series. This year, we have ones on classical literature with Emily Wilson and Thomas Jones, medieval literature with Irina Dumitrescu and Mary Wellesley, and 19th and 20th century literature with Mark Ford and Seamus Perry. Each series has 12 episodes, so you'll receive a new episode from each one every month and you can listen in most podcast apps. To sign up, go to lrb.me forward slash close readings or click on the link in the description. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I have so many more questions. But I would like to give other people a chance to also ask questions. And if nobody has any questions, I'll just ask the four that I had left. Um, but I think that that's absolutely such an excellent place to end, especially on this idea of the family being designed scarcity and the idea that the love ethic that we um, go and search for, there's no ground for yet. And we have to make that ground, which is the proposition in this book. But it's also a cool... Um, to our imaginations and our imaginative capacity as well, um, which can inspire fear, but is also um, a call for a kind of political determination that we already see actualized around us. Um, So thank you so much, Sophie, a big round of applause. Questions? Hi, um, thanks so much for that. Um, I had a question that kind of goes back a bit to the um, the point about family reunification, but also this point about children's liberation. Um, and I'm just wondering how you balance that with the fact that, I guess at present, um, when we don't have a state that's withering away, it's often easier for the state to see children as blameless and pathologise their parents. And, for example... Um, you have, you know, um, discourses of early intervention, which are very neuroscientific and a, a bit eugenics um about children can still be rescued um, at the price of um, demonising the parents. And I just wonder how you think about that and the children's and parental rights point sort of in the intervening period, if that makes sense, and how that fits with the, with yeah. the project. The question of um, childhood innocence or the weaponization of the innocence of the child with a capital C seems so, so crucial to me politically in this moment. I just keep returning to it in my mind and wanting to organize around it, want to even just organize reading groups. Critical childhood studies is a hell of a field I personally knew nothing about. And people have been making the links between sort of border, you know, um, yeah, migrant justice and sort of no borders activism and the prison industrial complex and the prison, the school to prison pipeline and so on. And the, you know, almost 40 year old, yeah, maybe slightly more than 40 year old project um, of, uh, yeah, um, almost... (laughs) fashoid childism as a principle it's you know it sounds like a culture war thing and that is exactly the problem that we have assented to this idea that um you know uh there is some way of talking about um children or uh, and and the the figuration of queerness as an inherent threat to children, which has always lingered. It was literally, you know, it's explicit with Anita Bryant in the 80s and the I feel like very tragically, the left never um, spoke a full sentence against it. You know, um, there's still this immense, re- re- like, you know, I want to say lack of courage sometimes to actually say, um, and here I am afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, kids have sexuality, uh, kids uh, have rights, kids are human beings um, with. Um, uh, uh, you know, a right to part of the a right to participate in the in the polis um, that um, they have. You know, uh, autonomy, um, gender. You know, and so on. That there, like that. There's something kind of going on that we've been successfully played, and it's a it's a class war issue. <laughs> like, 
Um, this is a conversation that was happening in Chicago in brilliant in a brilliant way, um, because you know there's this anthology transgender Marxism that has uh, some of the tools for us to use. I think um, around uh, around childhood. Um, and the migrant child in particular as a uh, as a figure of like potential participation in the nation like um, a rescue operation um, all that can be linked to anti-trafficking discourses also the funneling of certain kinds of um, you know racialized like muslim women into europe europe via certain provisions for like care work jobs sarah faris has this incredible work on how uh for example like muslim women get get brought into certain european countries in order to defang de-radicalize de-racialize their sons uh husbands male relatives um, and i wonder if the same analysis could apply almost to the figure of the sort of migrant child a little bit right who, who whose parents have been so violent in bringing them across the border. This is the point the politicians always make, right? So there's this severing of familial sacredness that's constantly going on in order for the... Anyway, I, I don't have the answer. I'm really glad you asked something about this. Thank you. Um, I'm just looking around the room and um, noticing a certain gender balance. Um, <laughs> and I'm wondering whether this reflects your experience of and or experience with and knowledge of sort of the, the issue um, in the field mm. and whether you have thoughts on that. Mm. <laughs> wow. I keep thinking about how, um, I don't know, the sociology, the data on, for example, divorce is, you know, still like, you know, men don't initiate divorce. <laughs> They, you know, they they might um, you know cheat and complain and you know, but ultimately they're getting this incredible service still. Um, it sucks, doesn't it? I don't know. It's just uh, yeah. There's um, there may be I don't know. You might be onto something. <laughs> there's you know, um, but you know, I I, I also I'm really fascinated by how this male bread winner uh, household, as it is called in the literature, is increasingly uh, also, you know, ungendered in a certain literal sociological way that like we all, you know, we're all, we're all the bread winner who has to uh, justify laying down their life in work for a special private someone. Um, increasingly, apart from the trad wives who want to go back, right? No, but I'm actually like so serious. Like that, that I, I keep thinking about whether there is a part of me that, or maybe it's just a Marxist part rather than the empathic. Like, why would you perhaps want to look at this situation? You know, sixty odd years since women's liberation inaugurated, and the double shift has still not gone anywhere. Like, fuck, you know? Maybe it makes sense to just say, I'm not gonna do the paid shift, <laughs> you know? And then there's some extraordinary kind of fetishism and kink going on with, with um, you know, with the heterosexuals, isn't mm. it? Like the, um... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the, well, with, you know, with the, with the explicit sort of you know, whatever it is, the mm -hmm. cottage core, the, 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 the trad wife, the, the, the subservience, the, the, the mm. service. And maybe it's, it, maybe, maybe, maybe it's fun. It, um, I, and, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, I feel like, I don't know, I just sort of joked about it or it sounded like I was joking, but maybe I'm not joking mm. that there is something sort of materially like, on offer there. What scares me so much is that is that the moment appears to have certain fascist propositions and answers to the contradictions of our present moment that are compelling, evil, but much more convincing 
than, well, certainly what liberalism is offering, but that's always the case. Mm. But, you know, where are the communists? Um, hi. You know, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's, um, yeah. I mean, I feel like this is it, isn't it? <laughs> that Georgia Maloney is, is on a podium saying, um, they fear the family. Um, you know, and she means Jews. Um, I can say this with some confidence, actually, because I get an absurd amount of anti-Semitic uh, abuse. Um, uh, I'm actually not Jewish, uh, unless you count my whatever. You know, yeah, I, I'm not really, <laughs> but I am for the purposes of um, um, this project, mm. which they explicitly see. Uh, as, um, you know, countering the alienating, um, depersonalizing forces of finance capital. This was her speech, wasn't it? Maloney's speech was this, um, like, let's, let's not be consumers. This is what they want us to be. We want to be, um, you know, familial individuals. It's a hell of a sell. Mm. Um, and it's also quite prevalent in um, environmental circles. In the United States, there was this um, farmer's market in Indiana that um, had this um, or like organic vegan farm stand uh, farmer's market operation that turned out to be run and, and operated by literal Nazis, you know. Um, Sorry, that was maybe completely irrelevant. Maybe no, not irrelevant, but yeah, you know, the, the the sort of the homesteading fantasy is part and parcel of a response to ecological catastrophe um, that um, that is on offer to yeah um, every middle class person. To, to to name another thing about this room, perhaps other than gender, like you know, yeah, the the the, the you know, family abolition is one of these things that. We, the way the way it sort of gets painted wrongly and very in very bad faith in in definitionally bad faith as a sort of uh, yeah you know bourgeois white project coming from the imperial core um, promoted by atheist like overeducated feminists or whatever uh, when as with so many things its its philosophy comes from um, the 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 so-called margins. Mm. Um, I was maybe not even fully aware of this when I wrote my first book, and then I did a bit of research because I was prompted to and, and 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 you know compelled to in a way. And I was actually surprised, right? Mm. Almost, almost, almost startled by how when you try and find the things that people were saying about family abolition uh, at at the radical height of possibility long 60s, it's, it's uh, anti-imperialist, third world liberationist black women nurses saying, um, we need to stop sort of, uh, you know, pissing about, it needs to be destroyed. Uh, if we don't destroy the family and we destroy the state, you know, the state will only rise again, this time black, not white. You know, people, people really kind of making a case for the deprivatization of care. Um, which, which were more courageous than, for instance, Shula Miss Firestone, um, who, 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 you know, whom I, you know, problematically stan. Um, uh, I, you know, she was writing to her sister, um, and it's such a different tone if you compare it to Pat Parker and the comrades in Oakland saying, destroy the family. Shula Miss is saying, oh, Layla, I, um, you know, I just don't know if the revolution is imminent enough for me to bother um, rearranging my whole psychical architecture. <laughs> um, and that's very relatable. But, you know, this is why, you, you know, in a sense, and this is a note to self, you don't just stay in your room writing and naming yourself the mm. theorist of women's liberation. You, mm. you, you get involved mm. in um, movement. Mm. You know?
I've come as someone who hasn't read on this and also is on maternity leave, so has no brain cells left. <laughs> so it's been really interesting and thank you for this. But um, I've been trying to think about um, where I've seen this um, in popular culture and, and the, the kind of conversation of this being lacking. But it struck me, and I don't know if you've seen it, but in the most recent series of Atlanta, have you seen it? Not the most recent series. There's a specific episode about a, a boy being taken away from a black family and placed in a white, very vegan, like wholesome, in on the surface mm -hmm. um, family that is actually really tyrannical mm -hmm. and and very white supremacist. And uh, it, I just think that it would be really interesting um, to to know what you thought about that. So if you do happen to watch it. <laughs> I'd, li I'd like to know because I think that that's the only time that I've maybe seen this conversation come to the fore in any sort of mm. popular culture recently. And do tell me if I'm wrong and where, where else you've seen the debate. Um, oh, that's interesting. I, I think that's a, um, a really great question to end on. Maybe if I can take the question and kind of expand it to think about um, what, what, where do you see a kind of resurgence of family abolitionist thought in popular culture? Do you think that that's a useful way to explore this idea? How do we get it out there? That's a yeah. kind of broad thing. I'm interested, actually, in, mm -hmm. in that question about culture. Yeah. Um, well, um, I think this is maybe not what some people want to hear in response, but I, I do think the answer is things like um, uh, the virality of uh, Rebecca May Johnson's essay about dreaming of canteens, things like that, like people imagining provision of um, the, 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 you know, the ways of meeting our needs and expanding those needs uh, in, the, in the common sphere. So it's not necessarily TV shows that imagine um, something about, you know, actually, I think there's a whole plethora of um, uh, American media about the foster care system and the adoption industry and all the psychical mess of, um, you know, uh, white adoptive parents, or black, you know, um, but I wouldn't really point there. Mm. I would point to um, things that show um, insurgency. <laughs> And more utopian. Yeah, because, you know, this is the, yeah, again, this is the thing. Um, where is the kernel of, of, of the deprivatization of care, uh, which is the other phrase for family abolition? It's just a little less catchy, maybe. Um, well, maybe, yeah. Um, let's, let's all, like, you know, write the anthology, like, deprivatize care you know, uh, and, and figure out the strategies, uh, re, you know, digging up, but also not everyone has to look to the archive. We, we need new strategies, new skills, you know. There are really interesting things where people were talking about making the architecture of the city kitchenless as a way of like jumpstarting like people's liberatory energy because, it's, you know, urban planners in the tradition of um, Charles Fourier, uh, the utopian socialist uh, French guy who invented the term feminism, allegedly, which I love because it's really not in the genealogies of feminism that you typically hear. Similarly with Colin Ty, right, this kind of high femme family abolitionist uh, um, uh, slut who uh, was scandalizing everybody uh, and going around the world being one of the world's first um, ambassadors for a, a nation state. Uh, and yet never, ever, to my knowledge, listed in, um, you know, uh, celebrations of the girl boss, like, right? Alexandra Kolontai, like, again, problematic fate, but like, super interesting in terms of the deprivatization of care and what you need to do to almost uh, get people out of their um, kitchens, mm. <laughs> not, not, which is, which is, you know, I love what Rebecca Mae Johnson says about like not turning yourself against the kitchen because your your grandmother was less free than you, you know. That um, and at the same time, I mean, this is not a con this, well. If it is a tension, it's a it's a generative one. Mm. Like people were talking about um, building a kitchenless architecture in the sense of only public kitchens, to, so that people um, learn in their bodies 
to to be fed in common. Mm. And that doesn't mean that like the pleasures of personal cooking for your friends would would be would be like outlawed <laughs> by fiat. But it's an interesting one, and I, I love I love to think about these. What what sorts of technologies and uh, and experiments could we uh, could we implement to get ourselves out of our comfort zones uh, um, and deprivatize care? And that includes maybe like talking to children, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know something that sounds so basic, but I feel like. Uh, you know, <laughs> children have been taught about stranger danger to such an extreme extent that um, it's no longer taught. It doesn't need to be taught anymore. It used to be a thing that people talked about critically. And, and like now it's just worked, it seems to me. Mm. Like we don't, I don't know about you. Maybe I don't, you know, I feel like I'm not allowed to talk to children. <laughs> and when I do, their parent comes along and takes them physically away. Um, maybe that's, I don't know. I'm nice. <laughs> Something to um, discuss at the signing <laughs> afterwards. So Sophie will be signing um, oh, yeah. copies of their book. Thank you so much um, for everyone for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This is an incredible that. book. That incredible. Um, I really recommend that everybody... Buy Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.